while we're at it, thinking of just wonderful testimonies, let me just say for all of you, as a part of this community of faith, in this community, you have a chance to be a part of so many wonderful testimonies, many of which you don't even hear about. One that, that happened last Sunday that particularly blessed me, um, uh, our, our church office was, many of you might have heard about a, a terrible apartment fire last weekend. I think it was out in the Oakland area. Many families were displaced, lost everything. Well, a lot of those families didn't have a place to go. They were being housed by the Red Cross over at the convention center. Sunday afternoon, our office was closed, and, and, uh, but a call got through from one of our members who's a, who helps with the Red Cross and said, we, we have all these families who are living over here, but they don't have even any shower facilities. Could we come to the church just to give these families a chance to take a shower? Sure, come on over call a little bit later and, well, we don't have any way to get them over there. Can the, could the church help us to get the, well, all of our vans were out at the summer's best two weeks except for one van. And, and just quickly, volunteers came together to get the vans and, and to host the folks. And they came over here. And later in the week, we thought that, that a lot of those families were going to be housed here because the convention center didn't have room. But it turned out they found other housing arrangements. But those are the kinds of things that happen just by being light in this community, and you're all a part of it. So I just, I just thank you for, for, uh, for being a part of that and, and, and being a part of what God is doing here. With that, let me just move us right into the Word of God today. If Jesus is who He said He was, then nothing is more important than following Him. If He's not... Let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But if Jesus is who he said he was, or who he said he is, then nothing is more important than following him. Pastor George reminded us of that thought last weekend, but I first recall hearing it in a movie theater in State College, PA. I was a 19-year-old college student who had walked away from the Christian faith, thinking the Bible was just a a collection of spiritual fairy tales, you know, fanciful stories with good morals. Surely, I thought, no thinking person believed Adam and Eve were real people. Jonah and the whale might as well have been Jack and the Beanstalk to me. Then a friend who had recently come to faith in Christ invited me to see a movie called Time to Run, put out by Billy Graham's organization. To be honest, I thought the movie was pretty bad. I mean, terrible, actually. Uh, But one thought from it stuck with me and became the starting point of my journey to faith as an adult. For toward the end of that movie, Billy Graham was preaching in the old Houston Astrodome. And the theme of his message was essentially this. If Jesus is who he said he if Jesus is who he said he is, then nothing is more important than following him. And from that point forward, the focus of my spiritual search began to narrow. 
I didn't brush off Christianity with my doubts about talking serpents, a giant ark, or hospitable whales. Instead, I began to reflect upon Jesus. Who did he claim to be? Were his claims true? Well, this summer here at ACAC, we've narrowed the focus of of our message as to look directly at the claims of Jesus in a series, sermon series entitled, Jesus in His Own Words. Specifically, we're looking at the seven occasions recorded for us in the Gospel of John where Jesus Himself told us who He was, and He introduced each such encounter with the words, I am. We've learned that those two words alone were indeed revealing. In fact, Jesus' most vocal opponents, the privileged religionists of His day, found His use of those words damning. For to Jesus' Jewish audience, those two words, I am, were holy words. For the God of the universe, as we sang earlier today, the God of the universe had revealed His name to Moses at the burning bush, saying, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Who did this Jesus think He was? Throughout the course of the last weeks, we've looked at six of those occasions where Jesus introduced Himself with echoes of those holy words, I am. At times, He used the events of the moment to reveal new truth about Himself. I am the bread of life, Jesus said, just after feeding the 5,000. I am the resurrection and the life, He proclaimed, as He prepared to call His dead friend Lazarus out of the tomb. At other times, Jesus drew upon images and themes that would be familiar to his audience, the good shepherd and the doorway to the sheepfold, the true vine and the light of the world. On each of these occasions, he made profound claims about who he was and why he mattered. And so today, we come to the last of the seven I am statements of Jesus, not chronologically, mind you, for for his teaching, I am the true vine, actually occurs one chapter later in John's gospel. But we've chosen today's text as the last of the seven in our series because nowhere in all of Scripture are all the bold claims Jesus made about himself more clearly summarized. Would you turn with me today to the Gospel of John, chapter 14? We'll read from verses 1 through 6. As we begin this passage, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He said this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
I've chosen as the title of today's message, The Boldest Claim of All. Would you look to the Lord with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, today in these moments, we want to hear from you. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you would use my words. And Lord, by your spirit, empower them to speak your word to the hearts of your people. That your word might find good soil and a place to grow. That your word might change the lives of people in this room. And I ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. As we seek together to understand and apply these words of Jesus, that they might become life-giving to us, may the Lord be with you. Simple words are the best clothing for the largest truths. So observed 19th century English pastor Alexander McLaren, simple words are the best clothing for the largest truths truths. There's perhaps no better example of this principle at work than the words of Jesus as recorded in the text we read earlier. For here we find Jesus announcing the very largest of spiritual truths clothed in the ever so simplest of words. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But if it was the boldest of claims, it came for Jesus at the darkest of times. For on the night he spoke these words, we find Jesus huddled with his disciples in the upper room, knowing that the next hours would bring his betrayal and arrest and humiliation and unspeakable suffering and ultimately death on Calvary's cross. But Jesus wasn't distracted by his own troubles. There was so much his disciples still needed to learn. And so as the evening began, Jesus humbled himself, and taking on the role of a household servant, he washed his followers' feet. You should do likewise, he challenged them. And then as they sat together at the table, he broke the bread. This is my body broken for you. The wine followed. This is the new covenant In my blood. What was going on here? His disciples must have been thinking. But the bombshells just kept coming. One of you will betray me. What you are going to do, do quickly, he said to Judas as he dismissed him from the room. And talk of betrayal was followed by a prediction of denial. By Peter, no less the bravest and boldest among them. Truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. But that wasn't even the worst of it. Little children, Jesus said, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Was Jesus abandoning them? They had followed him for three years. They had left everything to be at his side. Betrayal, denial, and now departure. Jesus was leaving, and he was leaving them 
behind. Imagine you're one of Jesus' disciples in that moment. Is your head spinning with conflicted thoughts? I mean, the tension in the room had to be so thick you could cut it with a knife. And that's the moment where we pick up our story today in John chapter 14. Let's read again verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. Believe in God, believe also in me. Please don't miss this simple point. Let not your hearts be troubled. Even in his darkest hour, it wasn't his own troubled heart that most concerned Jesus, but the troubled hearts of those he loved. In just a few short hours, the Lord's personal anguish would be so great that he would sweat drops of blood. But here in the upper room, he was mindful of the troubled state of his disciples. So let me ask, is your heart troubled today? Are you going through some stressful experience? Maybe a lost job or a fractured relationship or, or the pain of grieving the death of a friend or loved one. Have you recently received a grim health report that's left you reeling or maybe even despairing of life itself? Is your heart troubled for wayward kids or aging parents? These words of Jesus may be for you today. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God believe also in me. Dear one, don't let anyone or anything, including the lies of the enemy of your soul, ever convince you that Jesus is too preoccupied with other things to care about your troubled heart. He promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. But Jesus did more than just notice their angst. For his words of comfort offered on that night have helped to quiet the troubled hearts of his followers ever since. Let's read on. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Now, we could camp out for the rest of our time here together this morning and never even get to the boldest claim of all. For the promise of a place made ready for you in the Father's house is a safe harbor in all of life's storms. But only for those who can see through the clouds of the present into eternity. Brothers and sisters, heaven is a place, not an idea. It's a sweet place. It's the kind of place you want to get to. Jesus spoke of it in such a familiar way. In my Father's house, there are lots and lots of rooms. It's a big, big house. I'm going to prepare a place for you there. In tough times, we'll often pray, God, please work to change this situation that I'm in. 
And that's all well and good. Elsewhere in the scripture, Jesus invites us to make our request known to God. But as his words of comfort to his disciples in the upper room remind us, the greatest hope for troubled hearts is knowing that Jesus has changed our eternal destiny, not our present circumstances. Walking in this hope of a glorious tomorrow allows us to live above the circumstances of today. No wonder the Apostle Paul would years later observe, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are above all people most to be pitied. Our hope is in the next life. Jesus anchored our greatest hope and comfort in heaven. But as Jesus spoke with his disciples, the assurance of a place in heaven was only part one of the promise. Part two was this. I will come again and take you to myself. Now, in ancient times, you couldn't just call ahead to make reservations for your journey. So wealthy travelers would often send a servant called a forerunner ahead to prepare the place for them to stay. And once the place had been prepared, the servant would then return and, and lead his master back to that place. Jesus is our forerunner, brothers and sisters. The servant king has gone ahead of his followers, not merely to prepare a physical place, a physical dwelling for us in glory, but to prepare the way spiritually by offering his own blood for our sins in the courts of heaven. Hebrews 9, 11, and 12. Jesus went to heaven as our forerunner, not only to make the reservations, he went ahead of us to pay the bill. We were out to dinner recently with our young adult kids, and they turned to Lynn and me and said, let us pay the bill. <laughs> I didn't know those words were in their vocabulary. <laughs> Listen, Jesus, our forerunner, paid the bill. He paid the debt in heaven we could never afford to pay. And he's coming back to take us where he is. Forget this idea of human history going on and on and on in endless cycles, you know, circle of life kind of thing. All of history, the Scriptures teach us, moving toward a great climactic moment. And in that moment, in the twinkling of an eye, Jesus will come again. He'll put an end to all sin and rebellion against God. He'll right every wrong, and He will take with them all those who look forward to His appearing. He'll take them to His Father's house. Oh, what a day that's going to be. So in that scene in the upper room, Jesus looked to calm the troubled hearts of His disciples with a view of the future that took them beyond His imminent departure to a glorious heavenly reunion. Can you even imagine? I'm thinking five-star doesn't even begin to do justice to this heavenly destination. We need a whole new rating scale. We'll, we'll use something like five galaxy or something. And, and Jesus said, and you know the way to where I am going. At this point, the ever-pragmatic and ever-pessimistic Thomas spoke up. He said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Now, most of you are aware that Thomas came by his nickname, Doubting Thomas, the old-fashioned way. He earned it. But I'm so glad 
Thomas's doubts are recorded for us in Scripture because they serve to remind us there's a big difference between doubt and unbelief. One looks at the unknowns of this life and says, God, I don't understand. The other sees the very same evidence and scoffs, surely there is no God. There's a big difference. John the Baptist doubted. Following his arrest by King Herod, he sent word to Jesus to ask, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Matthew 11. Jesus responded by calling him the greatest person ever born. Here in the upper room, Thomas doubted, and it opened the door for Jesus' boldest claim of all. God is big enough to handle your doubts, dear brother or sister. Go ahead and speak them. Tell them. He knows your every thought anyhow. But let your doubt be a traveling companion of faith like that of the prophet Habakkuk who wrote, Though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. All of which brings us to the boldest claim of all. One of those large gospel truths that Jesus was able to clothe in such simple words. Now let's review. Disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. I'm going to prepare a place for you in my Father's house, and I'll come again to take you there. But Lord, said Thomas, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Could Jesus make it any more clear than that? You can't find your way to God by following a rule book. Only Jesus is the way. You can't get there by repeating sacred prayers. Only Jesus is the way. Good works aren't your ticket into heaven because only Jesus is the way. Contemplation and meditation won't get you there. Only Jesus is the way. Going to church or mosque or synagogue or temple isn't enough because only Jesus is the way. The way to God is through a divine person. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the only authorized revelation of God to man and the only acceptable representation of man to God. When he died on the cross, Jesus bridged the gap between God and man, and he's the only one who can lead sinful men and women into the presence of God without fear or shame. There's no other way. No one comes to the Father except through him. But that sounds so intolerant. You Christians talk like such haters, thinking heaven excludes everyone who doesn't believe like you. Take that up with Jesus. Those are his words, not ours. Your problem is, isn't with Christians, it's with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful there is a way. I'm so thankful Jesus pursued me until I found him, and I want others to know God has made a way. His name is Jesus. 
It's why we send international workers to faraway places where the name of Jesus is rarely spoken because we want everyone to be able to share in this good news. God has made a way. His name is Jesus. Won't you believe in him too? You know, back in the day before GPS, if you wanted to find your way to some distant place, you had two choices. Men insisted on using a map. Women wanted to stop and ask directions. Many arguments ensued. (laughs) How much better to have a Savior who says, I am the way to heaven. Follow me. I've gone to prepare a place for you in my Father's house. And Jesus said, I am the truth. Not a truth, not your personal truth. People will say today, well, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. Really? The late Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan was known for having a way with words. He said, everyone is entitled to his own opinion, but not to his own facts. Well, brothers and sisters, everyone is entitled to his own ideas, but not to his own truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. Your truth won't get you to God unless Jesus is at the heart of it, because he is the personification of truth. How did I come to be? Why am I here What will happen when I die? The answers to all of life's great questions can only be found when examined through the truth we know in Jesus because only he is the truth. And Jesus is the life. Without the way, there's no going. Without the truth, there's no knowing. Without the life, there's no living, wrote Thomas Akempis. All men search for a life worth living. It's only found in Jesus. He is the life. Jesus is in every way the author of life, natural life, spiritual life, abundant life, eternal life. It's all found in the one who said, I am the life. Now let me close with a personal story, and forgive me if you've heard me tell it before. Following our wedding over 33 years ago now, my beautiful wife Lynn and I honeymooned in Cancun. While there, I wanted to take an all-day trip to tour the ancient Mayan ruins at Chichen Itza. I'm a history buff, and I love that kind of stuff. My wife, on the other hand, is a beach babe, and the thought of spending a day of her honeymoon (laughs) trudging through the jungles of the Yucatan Peninsula was just not very appealing to her. But she agreed to go for one reason only. She had recently seen a movie named Against All Odds. And that movie had been filmed in the area. And one scene in the movie was a a romantic encounter between the lead characters, Jeff Bridges and Rachel Ward, that had actually been filmed in Chichen Itza in a place called the Steam Room. Lynn's only interest in the day's adventure was in seeing the Steam Room. (laughs) Well, it was about three hours on a bus to get there, and we joined a tour group of about 40 
walking around square miles of these ancient ruins. And our guide was wonderful. He explained to us Mayan culture and civilization and went into great detail about the significance of each site along the tour. I was in my glory. Lynn, meanwhile, was bored to tears. Blaine, she whined, can't we just go off and find the steam room on our own? <laughs> After about two hours of this, our guide asked a question. Has anyone here seen the movie Against All Odds? <laughs> Suddenly energized. My wife said, I have, I have, <laughs> as if the guide might miss her. <laughs> well, he laughed and continued explaining the essence of the movie and its connection to a place called the Steam Room at Chichen Itza. Come on, he said, let's go see it together. Well, Lynn ran to the front of the tour group so she could be the first one into the Steam Room and see this magical place in all of its natural beauty. And when I finally caught up to her, she was standing just inside the entrance, staring straight ahead in stunned disbelief. You see, the steam room was just a little cave with a pile of rocks in the middle of the floor. <laughs> That's it. No steam, no glamour, no nothing, just a pile of rocks. Whatever they had done with that scene in the movie had all been a grand Hollywood illusion. The reality was you'd be hard-pressed to find a less romantical place in all of Mexico. <laughs> this is it, Lynn said. This is what I gave up a day on the beach in Cancun to see. So disheartened was my new bride that on the bus ride home, I don't think she said a word to me. Now, the point is, I don't think she'll say a word to me when I get home today. <laughs> the, point, the point is this. How many people go through life in search of their own version of the steam room? That coveted thing they expect to bring some measure of fulfillment only to find it's just a grand illusion. And how many people come to the end of their days only then to realize they've traded a life in paradise for a pile of rocks? Brothers and sisters, heaven is a gated community. You have to know someone to get in. His name is Jesus. He's the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Today there may be some in this room who have wanted to be right with God and you've been trying to get there through all kinds of ways. Today you've heard. You only go there you only get there. The only way to the Father is through Jesus. I want to invite you to come in the way that, that he said we had to come. Jesus said, believe in me. I want to invite you to do that, to take a step to believe in him. 
And so at your chairs, all of our heads are bowed. I just pray, I ask you to erect an altar of prayer there at your prayer and in your own words, say something like this. God, today I have heard that Jesus is the only way. I want to give my heart to him. Today I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus, that he's paid the price for my sin by his death on the cross, that he's made a way for me to, to have a place prepared for me in your house in heaven, that he's made a way for me to have eternal life. And so today I put my faith and trust in Jesus and I accept him as my Savior and my Lord. And I thank you today that you've made a place for me and we all together pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.